Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 2, 4-10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Chris, and I'm the Director of Justice and Missions here at Cornerstone Church. And today I have the privilege to share God's word with you. To begin, I want to ask some questions. First, do you feel guilty when you notice your Bible is looking pretty dusty from not having read it in a while? Do you feel guilty when you realize that for a while you seem to be praying either when you, before a meal or before your world seems to be collapsing? Do you feel guilty when people like me preach at you to give up the comforts of your life and to follow Jesus at great cost. If, you, if you're feeling guilty, which I apologize for, you might be feeling like you're a bad Christian. And, you know, this pandemic certainly isn't helping. It seems almost impossible to get anything done while you're working at home. Your anxiety seems to be skyrocketing through the roof as your job security hangs in the balance. And at the end of the day, you're feeling exhausted and you have to be a Christian. How do you grow as a Christian during pandemic? How do you thrive as a Christian? How do you become a better Christian? How do you grow in holiness? These are good questions and I have some good news. You can't. You can't grow in holiness. You can't become a better Christian or a stronger Christian on your own. You need God's grace to be working in you. You need God's grace to be saving you. And Paul says in verse 5 and verse 8 of our passage, For it is by grace you have been saved. Grace is working in you. And consider the verb tense. For it is by grace you have been saved. Grace has saved you. It's a past perfect tense. It's a complete action in the past, with, but with ongoing consequences. You've been saved, but salvation isn't done with you yet. So what does that mean? What, what is God's grace, and what does it mean to be saved? Let, let's break down that verse. Number one, God's grace is God's great love for you. According to verse four, even when you were dead in transgressions, God, uh, in his great love, brought you back from the dead. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned love for you. It's the kind of love that pushes someone to not only adopt, but also embrace an orphan. Grace is a kind of commitment that a husband makes to his wife, like God makes to the church. When God says, I love you, he doesn't just write it in a card. 
He says, I will give up nothing less than the death of my own son to save you. It's a love that's willing to pay any cost. And God does pay the cost of saving you. And for many people today, salvation can be a confusing word. Why do I have to be saved? Why do I need salvation? And Paul says we need God's grace to save us because we're dead in transgressions. That's, that's morbid. Why, why is Paul saying we're dead? And I think Paul is using the image of death to really describe two things. First, he uses death to describe that we're relationally dead to God. And second, to describe the kind of uh, results and wounds we get from living in a broken world. First, in a way, we're dead to God because we turned our back on Him. In other words, our relationship with God is dead. At the beginning of chapter 2, Paul explains that we are easily influenced and succumb to evil influences in the world that keep us preoccupied and turn our backs on God. We take the good things God gives us, money, jobs, sex, children, and we make these good things become God things, and we ultimately neglect God. So at our core, we don't really care to put in the work to become better Christians because we're so easily distracted by the things in front of us. We're dead to God relationally. Second, death is a apt description for the wounds we get from living in this broken world. Too often our gospel presentation neglects the fact that though we live in a world of sinners, we also live in a world where people are sinned against. Women and children often find themselves enslaved, trafficked, assaulted, abused. In our country, black people are still lynched. In our country, Native Americans have not only been relegated to the desert, but also find adequate medical care inaccessible. And for a lot of us who survive abuse, that trauma lives in our bodies years after the original events. It eats away at our bones like a cancer. And I I think that really feels like death, doesn't it? It is death. Oftentimes the effect of trauma and abuse explain why we're stuck in certain patterns of sin, why we continue to run in a hamster wheel of lies. There was a missionary who once told me a story from the beginning days of his marriage. When he and his wife first got married, his wife would buy a cake for them to eat for dessert every night. It was a small cake. And he would always anticipate these desserts with childish glee. And one night after dinner, dinner, he runs to the fridge and he, to his disappointment, the cake's not there. Disappointment becomes rage and he storms to his wife and demands to know why is there no cake? And during the fight, the wife is so confused. She asks, where is this anger coming from? Why are you so upset that there's no cake? And the missionary paused because he didn't know. And the more he thought about it, he realized 
that eating dessert after dinner was one of the few good memories he had in his painful, painful childhood. He didn't realize that he had yet to heal from the wounds of his childhood. Don't you wonder why you seem chained to certain sins? Why it seems like the gospel really doesn't work for you? It seems like that the lostness, the rage, the loneliness never go away. But you know, it's a matter of, it's more than simply stopping having sex or looking at porn. It's more than just keeping your temper in check or trying to make yourself feel better. You need to be healed. You need to be rescued from the death within you. And praise God, who being rich in mercy, raises us from the dead with Jesus. And the most important word in verse 4 to 5 can easily slip away from us because it's that preposition with, with, with Jesus, made a life with Jesus. And that word with indicates two things to us. First, it, it really shows that we our relationship with God has been mended and that God will be with us. The skies could be falling, the pandemic can steal my joy and my job. It can rob me of my loved ones, but I know that Jesus is faithful and that he is faithful to secure my peace and my salvation no matter what happens. Second, with indicates a powerful transformation. In the Gospels, Jesus dies on a cross. He dies on a cross in order to give up his life to mediate a relationship between us and God. To be made alive with Jesus means, in the words of one scholar, which I love, is that we are co-crucified and co-resurrected with Jesus. On the cross, Jesus is coronated as king. The cross is his throne. When Jesus is ashamed, naked, alone, rejected, we are enthroned with him. And when he is buried in the grave, we are buried with him. And when Jesus rises from the dead, we are made alive with him. It is a literal resurrection. We'll have a new body, a new life, a body that is healed from the deepest wounds and a life that is freed from the deepest sources of pain and suffering. In chapter 5, Paul says, by giving up his life, Jesus cleanses us. That's what it means to be holy and blameless that he cleanses us, that he makes us wrinkle-free, stain-free, radiant. That grime uh, of shame we feel because of what has been done to us, that grime we feel for feeling like imposters when it comes to our faith, this grime gets scrubbed away with the blood of Jesus Christ. The lyrical prophet Isaiah says this, that by our Savior's wounds, we are healed. And that's the mystery of the cross, that by Jesus' sacrifice, we get the medicine that we need to heal. The trauma, the sadness, the lostness will be undone, and the grace of God as it works in us 
the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is working to heal us and make us more like Jesus. Therefore, you can have confidence, not in your works, but by the work that Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. You don't have to work hard to achieve holiness because you receive holiness by God's grace. There's no condemnation or sin. There's no need to put on a mask. You can lay down your guard because God's working in your weakness. You don't have to be afraid of asking for help, getting medication, getting therapy. These these things don't have to be shameful because God takes your healing seriously. So we should too. Don't just beat yourself up. Don't just deprecate yourself. Get the help that you need. And you'll never be alone. Because God's grace is always working in you and shining down on you as you try to live out our righteousness together. You know, the fondest memory I have of my childhood is when my dad tried to teach me how to ride a bike. He took off the training wheels. He would hold on to my bike seat to balance me as I wobbled and tried to figure out how to balance myself. And eventually I would topple over. He would run over, pick me up again, and we would try this again and again and again until we got it right. Sometimes you will try your hardest to meet God's standard and you'll still mess up. But don't beat yourself up because God's grace is there to pick you up again, 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 and again. So take your holiness seriously because someone paid for it with his life. But at the same time, don't be discouraged because when we say yes to sin, grace is there to pick us up. And next time, we don't have to say yes to sin. We can say yes to Jesus. Now, grace is working in us. It's saving us. It's empowering us to do good works, according to verse 10. To do good works, it's not a requisite for salvation, but it's a response to the great gift that God has shown us through the love and sacrifice of Jesus. And when Paul uses the word work, he often associates it with good, uh, with service and love. So to do good works is to help people. It's to do acts of service and to love people. And what kind of love, I mean, what kind of people is Paul really telling us to love? It's not just people in our family. It's not the people that we're close to. It's not even the people uh, we dislike in our community groups. In Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, Paul describes a church that is racially reconciled. There is a hostility that is erased, a hatred that is healed between the Gentiles and the Jew, and it's made possible by the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is a church that God really wants us to build up. And the grace that is working in us and saving us, making us holy, is really pushing us to move towards the margins where the people are. People who are racially economically and culturally different than us, whose worldview is completely different than our own. Remember, Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He ate with them. 
He associated with them. He loved them. He protested injustices on their behalf. So, because of God's grace that is working in us, we have to live for the common good. We have to live in the public square. And we have to live and love people who are in the margins. And I love the way theologian Rowan, Rowan Williams articulates it. Holiness in the New Testament is a matter of Jesus going into the mess, right in the middle of human suffering. For him, being holy is being absolutely involved, not being absolutely separated. So if we're going to take our Christian faith seriously, in William's words, we need to go where it is most difficult in the name of Jesus, who also went to where it is most difficult. And so we need to go where no one else wants to go, even during this pandemic. We need to go to areas and communities like Brockton and Chelsea that have been hit so hard by the pandemic. The Love Mercy Do Justice team for the past several weeks have uh, volunteered to pack uh, food for the homeless on Saturdays. I pray that you would really consider joining us. The journey of justice can be really taunting. It can be scary. But you don't have to be ashamed of that. Because the journey of justice can begin with a single Google search. Google what the ACLU Massachusetts is doing to combat uh, injustices in our legal system. Google what organizations are doing in Brockton and in Chelsea. Google what, what's happening to the Moshpee Wampanoag tribe, one of only two federally recognized Native American tribes in the state of Massachusetts. You see, we don't have to be afraid of getting it wrong. We don't have to be afraid of being humiliated. We don't have to be afraid of losing because God's grace gives us supreme confidence because the Holy Spirit is working in us. Because He's working in us to do good, to love others, just as Jesus has loved and served us. So how do we thrive in a pandemic? How do we thrive as Christians? Let the grace of God heal the deepest wounds in your heart and use your healing Use your testimony. Use your resources to love others. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the grace you've shown us. You heal us and you push us into the margins to serve. God, I pray that we will not be a church of condemnation, of hypocrisy, of guilt, but we will be a church that so deeply loves one another with our words and our actions and that we will love the whole city of Boston. Amen.